0: So, it's Martin Kiernan here, and I'm at the ECMID meeting just looking around the posters and bumped into an old friend, Sharon Bamber. And Sharon's a clinical scientist. What's your official job title, Sharon? I am
1: actually a clinical scientist. You're actually now, a clinical scientist, yeah, yeah. I'm also a HSST trainee okay. as
0: well. So, we worked together many years ago back in Southport, and Sharon now works at Rural University Hospital Trust, uh, and, but within infection prevention and control rather than in the laboratory, I think. And You've got a poster here because, like many organisations, you've recognised that you've probably got some ventilation issues in an older type of building, and you've gone about it by doing some CO2 monitoring, but in a fairly sort of low-key sort of way, haven't you? You've not installed fancy monitoring everywhere. So can you tell me a bit about the poster and how you went about it?
1: Okay then, so I'm a member of our ventilation safety group. So obviously our group are actually asked to assess the ventilation within our trust which was actually quite difficult to do. And you can actually assess your ventilation if it's mechanical ventilation. Yeah. And we were aware that a lot of our wards and bays were actually naturally ventilated. So you don't really have anything as such to, to measure. And we were, well, I was aware that um, some guidance and recommendations from NerveTag and also from the SIBSI guidelines had, had recommended that you could use CO2 monitoring as a proxy to estimate how good your air ventilation might be. Yeah. So, of course, you could put in the big, expensive um, continuous monitoring systems, but across a huge trust. Uh, we weren't in a position to do that quickly, so we did purchase some um, easy, kind of portable CO2 monitors. Yeah. In, in haste, but, yeah, um, well. but they were able to do CO2 and they gave us humidity and some, some other um, factors. And they're actually um, there for, uh, quality, for uh, quality monitors. Yeah. So we were able to just kind of, we did a, an audit um, right across the trust. And it did take us quite a few months to do, mm-hmm. um, given that we probably have on average five bays per ward. Yeah. So we kind of took a ward at a time and we left these monitors on average for two to three days so we could get a full cycle. Yeah. Because the main mitigation that we had was in a, a naturally ventilated ward was window opening. <laughs> yes, so, very
0: high tech. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, and obviously, and you can't open them too wide either, no. uh, because you know we, we do have uh, multiple stories within our trust as well.
0: Okay, okay, so this is a multi-story yeah. building rather than the flat building, and it
1: wasn't all flat. So okay. we, we know, and you know, depending on the time of year as well, we you know we we started it in the um, summer and we went through to winter this this is an update from the, the end of December yeah so we knew the um, opening and closing of the windows would be quite variable yeah. um, and probably That's more true. limited in the winter as well
0: yeah um, and possibly during summer or during dry periods you maybe get potentially more dust coming in from the outside contaminating the outside
1: I suppose that is that is that potential as well yeah um, but we thought, well, at least the more likely to open the windows to let the, fresher, the, the fresh air in. That's also true.
0: In fact, Jen and I found if you ask staff not to open the windows, they do. They
1: will. So yeah. actually,
0: the most effective thing to do probably would have been going around saying, "People, whatever you do, don't open the windows," because staff <laughs> will almost do the opposite, won't they? <laughs> maybe
1: we'll try that next. Yeah, time. Yeah, yeah,
0: maybe. <laughs> so findings.
1: So at the findings there's probably over one hundred and thirty five different sites across the trust. Yeah. Um, and we were we were looking for risk assessment really because we knew that it was likely that we had poor ventilation in some areas, but we were trying to look at what our worst affected areas were so that okay. we could try and put some kind could, of could intervention you in.
0: What, could you predict what they might be by saying that's an older building, therefore that is more likely, or, or you know, were you able to have a gut feeling about where you thought the ventilation might be poor?
1: Well. We kind of thought this was going to be in our bays because we knew we had me- mechanically ventilated areas in some parts. So we knew our um, single rooms had their own air supply, so we yeah. knew they wouldn't be a risk but we knew the bays were limited to natural ventilation and also since the original building design yeah um, they were they originally wouldn't have had doors on the bays but they've okay. been introduced since so we knew that that would have had an effect on the airflow so these were the conversations that we had with the engineers and so the we, we, engineer yeah. for ventilation as well. We've
0: got wards and multi-occupancy bays how many people in each bay?
1: Um, there would be between four and six people bays. Okay.
0: And it's interesting isn't it because you said Originally it was all open and I've worked in organisations like that where as you walk down the ward every bay is absolutely open and then suddenly we start getting norovirus outbreaks so we think oh that isn't great, the whole ward shut, maybe we can shut these off and create you know, closed bays but of course we've not necessarily thought about the ventilation and if only, you've only got natural in that area, if you've got a shut door you've got Virtually nothing, unless the windows open. Is that right? Yeah. Do you think we possibly shot ourselves in the foot without necessarily thinking those decisions I think, through?
1: I think absolutely, and I think it's only because of the COVID pandemic we've actually it's really highlighted how our wards ventilated
0: or not, ventilated. Or, or not. Yeah.
1: And for us, we, you know, we were happy with some of the other areas. We knew we knew where, where our um, negative pressure rooms were, and we had all of those validated. But it was the it was the litty the bays. Although to, to be fair, we did we did get some monitoring for single rooms, but that was purely by accident because of these monitors are mobile, okay. so they actually moved with the patient uh, on, a, on a number well, of occasions. supposed to, yeah. But it was good as a negative control, though, because you would actually see the graphs go okay. right down. And for I suppose a,
0: reassuring uh, that your actual yeah. uh, mechanical ventilation is working properly.
1: Yeah. Okay. Absolutely.
0: So. What sort of proportion of, of low, high and uh, medium risk did you actually get? And how did you define those as well?
1: Okay, so we, again, we were going off the, the nerve tag and Sipsy guidelines. Um, mm-hmm. They kind of estimated that if it was less than 800 parts per million, that would indicate you had good ventilation. Yep. And anything that was over 1,500, that would kind of be more of a red flag that you needed to kind of a more urgent intervention. So luckily for us, um, I mean, 70% of our areas okay. um, were in the, in the green zone. And of course it was very variable when you look at the the cycles because I kind of mapped all of the all of the data you know across uh, forty forty eight hours or seventy two hours and it would be very variable and that you could actually see yeah. that when they closed the Windows of a night, obviously, all uh, the the, um, the levels would start peaking up okay. until about five six o'clock in the morning, which was probably when they were opening the windows again. Um,
0: uh, and to be honest, I've worked nights. You know, what you tend to do is shut the bay door as well, so that the nurses outside don't disturb the patients. So you've got the double whammy, haven't you? The window shut Absolutely. plus the bay door shut. Therefore, no circulation of air at all. Yep. And that's when you've been getting peaks of CO2?
1: That's when we would see it. And, and other uh, things that we noticed would be, sometimes around 11 o'clock-ish, we'd see a peak as well. And mm. I think that was quite an active time on the wards, when there were, there were ward rounds. Sometimes it might be around meal times again, you know, when there's a lot of people in and out. Are you so, saying medical
0: staff spout a lot of hot air when they're actually on the ward? Okay.
1: Yes. <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's what you're saying. Okay. So, so in that case, so luckily 69%, um, yeah. at the time of our monitoring, were okay. Um, we had 22% that were in that medium range so that mm-hmm. was a bit kind of between the 800 and the 1500 but those that were consistently within that range we thought we needed to kind of they were kind of higher up in our in our kind of yep. risk mitigation. Um, so they're consistent mitigation.
0: rather than just the peak and trough okay.
1: Yeah and then there was 9% which was 12 that had um, consistently high high area um, levels of CO2 so yep. these are the ones that um, then we you know in um, in place with the estates teams we put in some uh, air purifiers okay
0: and, and what sort of areas were they were they consistent in their characteristics you know certain height of, you know if they're in the tower block or or were they actually fairly random and just subject to local practices or, or inability to open windows
1: well I think you've got to look at our trust building is probably over 40 years old yeah and they would have all been the same specification all the wards originally True. Um, but there will have been a lot of modi- modifications over time. Um, so uh, before we actually did the CO2 monitoring, we did, I first went and did a, a window audit just to make sure have we got windows <laughs> that open yeah. or, or not. So, but I do think it was, it was um, pretty random. there was no kind of pattern because we did wonder oh would it all be the first floor is it or is it the third floors yeah it it was actually quite random but in in terms of our risk assessment as well we kind of looked at the type of ward Mm -hmm. to help us with that kind of risk assessment because obviously we'd be more um, concerned about admission areas um, first as well so but luckily there were only 12 so that's where we put our first air purifiers only as a a kind of a, a last resort, so yeah. to speak, because yeah. we knew um, kind of full engineering um, interventions would be kind of a you know a longer term project. Yeah, and, and that's still progress. Yeah, I, for I mean, it's something to like. get you over yeah. while you get a
0: chance to do something a bit more substantial, which yeah. is going to involve investment, isn't it? I mean, did you manage to get investment for the air purifiers reasonably? Well,
1: well yes well we got the first few in and i know our trust has, has ordered a few more now i mean it's very difficult in terms of the type of air purifiers because yeah, there's yeah. so many out there on the market yeah and obviously we can't actually um verify that they're working nope. because these purifiers don't actually bring in fresh air so no, you would still right. see the co2 CO2's
0: still higher
1: but yeah. we're hoping it would just kind of reduce the aerosol yeah i mean i
0: think i think that's what most people tend to recommend i know Kath Mokes talks about that if you can't bring in fresh air then at least you can remove what is in the air. So I think that's yeah. a reasonable enough approach. I mean have you seen any impact clinically since doing this and numbers of cases dropping in, in those high risk areas? I mean I know you've only got a very small number of high risk areas really.
1: Well to, to be fair it was this um, This data came from the end of um, December so, and it, there was a bit more of a delay before we got all the air purifiers in. Okay. So, we haven't been able to look back at that yet. Okay. But we are using the air purifiers in a, in a different kind of um, scenario as well as our higher risk areas. We do use it um, sort of for contacts, okay. uh, ray contacts as well. So, okay. we're yet to go back and, and, um, and analyse that data, but I hope I'll be able to follow that up and see you
0: know, yep.
1: if this has had any kind of yep. positive impact.
0: Well, thanks very much. I mean, this is a nice, you know, and I know it wasn't easy because you have to have the infection control team going out placing all the monitors all the time, but it's relatively cost low to actually determine your high risk areas and therefore to take some action. So I think, it, you know, overall, it's a very cost effective intervention, isn't it? And it's, yeah. it's made a nice abstract as well, plus some nice discussion points about practice in opening and closing windows and, yeah. you know, whether we should just wall up. Walls that are actually providing ventilation. And did we do the right thing all those years ago? Because I've, I've done Absolutely. that sort of thing without necessarily thinking what's the impact on air. But at that time, we weren't necessarily thinking is the air as a major, major transmission uh, mechanism. So fascinating stuff. So thanks thank very much, Sharon. i oh,
1: thank you You're very
0: welcome. Okay.